This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Foshi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> Uh, shit, how we doing? I can't complain. It is uh, Wednesday, the 13th, and I, it, we had two inches of snow yesterday, so or two days ago, so the world shut down down here. Kids got to make snowman, and I, I had hoped that that was the north coming into the south for the uh, national championship game, but <laughs> I don't think it really mattered because they uh, that team in Alabama kicked the snot out of my Buckeyes, so... There was a really? storm rolling in, but it was rolling up from the tide, wasn't it? Yeah, the tide kind of went here. Let's uh, <laughs> let's roll in about twelve foot over this, and we'll end this snowstorm. That's right. Well, I had to, so, to be able to play against them and shoot Alabama with what they got going, which Ohio State's got it equally as strong a program. But that's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, you look at that. you know Alabama lost national championship two years ago by twenty. I think we mm-hmm. lost by twenty-five or twenty-six. So you know, no. And then uh, look where they're at today. And yeah. now they weren't even in the playoffs last year. So that's right. I mean, it's just you know, it's just putting those group of kids together that gel, and then who stays, who goes to the NFL. I mean, it's just you know, you got to have kind of that perfect storm to get that group of kids that can get you in that position. And they're talking about now that I think it was on ESPN this morning that that is the best football team to ever come through college. So, hey, if we lost by 25 to the best team that ever came through college, I don't have a problem with being second. That's right. Well, i tell you what, the Ohio State Buckeye tradition and fan fan support runs pretty deep, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and folks don't know you're an Ohio native. I, I believe Buckeye. That's right. Well, there's no question they'll be, they'll be back. They'll be back going in the, probably next year. But yeah, to get there under the circumstances, of, there's probably many people wondering if, if a season would even – even take place. I'm sure it was good for you as a fan to be able to get away and just watch him play and, uh, you know, have something to kind of divert uh, the, the attention of things that's been going on in our country and things that's been going on, you know, from a political standpoint to a health standpoint. So yeah, let's, let's not talk politics. Yeah. Let's don't, yeah. I shouldn't even mention I mean, that much, which I don't even know as much as I just said. <laughs> yeah. That's about the same here. I'll let, I'll let them other folks, you know, right. I'll let, I'll let the people that want to put the buffalo hats on and the and the coonskin tails <laughs> run around and decide what the country does. But you know we we've, we've been on a little hiatus of late, and uh, all because of good uh, good intentions. Because we've been in trees and we've been uh, trying to hunt as much as we possibly possibly could, and so that's kind of what's uh, you know had a little break between the last podcast to this one. So we're going to kind of spend a day talk, kind of recapping our seasons and. I think you started your season about the first of September, so before mm-hmm. I did, in uh, in Wyoming. Is that right? Yeah, I went out to Wyoming and um, hunted out there. Uh, I want to say it's Trophy Ridge Outfitters, and uh, guy that that runs that place, Mr. Ralph, super nice guy. But they that that area, it's right around Devil's Tower. It's just loaded with whitetail, and uh, there's some mule deer there too, and you know occasional elk, but. Um, it is there is nothing to see i think one day i might have saw over 300 i mean it's just loaded with deer now and and uh, a lot of opportunities if you're a bow hunter it's it's a tremendous place to go and yeah they've got some you know 
really, you know, good quality deer out there. Um, every now and then, just about like anywhere, you'll get a, you know, a giant. But, uh, you know, just the, it, you know, for a bow hunter, it's a great place to go and shoot a poking young whitetail. And and that time of year, you can kill one in, in velvet pretty easy. And that's what I did. Of course, beautiful country there, too. Beautiful, unique country to be hunting there where you can see Devil's Tower, which you can see for miles and miles around that area. But from a from a hunting standpoint, are you spotting and stalking, or is, is there some tree stand hunting? They kind of funnel it down because there's not a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of timber and we such. Um, a lot of alfalfa fields. Or I, you know, they were alfalfa green, you know, um, what they had bailed up for uh, cattle. You know, we're on you know, a lot of drainage ditches, creeks running through there, a lot of water coming out of the mountains. You know, so we were tree stand hunting and, ground, and, and ground blinds. You could probably spot and stalk something, but there's so many deer there. I mean, you go down a, one of those ditches or get that high grass, you're going to jump something out. So it, it's more, uh, you're going to sit and, you know, those deer out there, you know, you might sit in the middle of a, an alfalfa field that's 100 acres in a blind and, you know, the guy's going to drive you out there in a truck because of those, those deer are used to farmers, they're used to tractors running around and once you get in there, um, but, you know, you go walking across there, there's, I mean, some days the deer don't even come out of those fields. Mm-hmm. So they're going to, you know, you go walking out there, they're going to run two miles away. Yeah. But, you know, we were, the, the spot I killed my deer in, we were set up on a, a hay field that it, at, so it was kind of irrigated. So it was pretty green. There was a pile of deer coming into it. And uh, it was on a pinch point where the deer had to kind of filter in between uh, creek and the woods in a bottom so they were they were coming down through there and they were going to walk in front of you if they came out it just depended on whether he was going to be 20 yards or 60 yards and uh kind of just depends on the person if you can shoot that far now i don't have a problem shooting that far but stuff can happen as it did later in the year when you shoot that far yeah. but uh which we'll talk about later yeah <laughs> but uh that, you know so the deer I, that uh, we were hunting he came out and uh, i think there was uh, another decent buck with him and uh, we had, actually we had had about, uh, there was probably 25 does and fawns that had come out kind of on the other end of the field. And the guy that uh, was filming with me kind of looked out the window and mountain lion was out there. And all those does ran up and they ran right in front of us, which helped us out tremendously. But we knew that mountain lion was round. And so he was, you know, telling me there was a mountain lion and I'm trying to find it. We never did end up getting on video. And about an hour later, the deer I shot, he kind of come out, walked right in front of us. I shot him. He ran right up the bank. And I and it was a little back, so we just kind of let him sit there. We come back the next morning to get him. Well, my line had him dinner that night, ate about half of it. Is that right? And, uh, yeah, there was literally, he had kind of peeled the hide back. And it wasn't like coyotes where they just clean house and rip mm-hmm. everything to shreds. He had kind of peeled it back. and the, They cover him up with yeah. leaves and dirt and everything, too? Well, I think when we got in there, we ran him off of it. So he okay, had so he didn't have time yet. to do that. But that's, the, that's their MO is to kind of cover him up, isn't it? Yeah, but he had ate about half of the deer. Or, you know, he, he had ate all the tenderloins and part of the back end and a little bit of the shoulder. So we uh, salvaged what we could and got the deer out of there. And then we left, you know, part of the carcass in there. And then the, and the guys that, it was actually lying season. So the guys that, uh, some of the guides had tags and they put a tree stand up, but he didn't come back. So I never got a, got a shot at him. But you know, when we saw him out in the, the 
hayfield he looked like a pretty big cat i I, granted i haven't seen many and uh that was one of the only ones that i've really seen when i was hunting so you really don't have nothing to judge it to other Mm -hmm. than there's a cat (laughs) but you knew what you saw when you saw it there wasn't oh yeah i mean i knew what it was and then it it bailed off in a creek and and really the, the interesting thing about it was where we saw him from was literally 100 yards from a hog barn and uh, they had corn planted of course for the hogs and there was i, I can't believe they even got the corn to come up with so many deer that was in there but that the the hog pen it, it wasn't like your typical hog barns you see a lot of places i mean they, they those pigs were outside sows were outside with their piglets so that cat could easily just hop a five-foot fence grabbed a piglet took off and mm-hmm. they, and he may be doing that but he was not far from a you know pretty easy smorgasbord but you know, there there's cats everywhere out there. Those guys kill a lot of them. So, was your deer salvageable from the standpoint of getting it mounted, or are you getting it mounted? Yeah, or? I got it mounted. It, you know, it's a nice deer. He's probably you know, close to one forty. Is that kind of what you expect there? And yeah, Ridge, anywhere 140 from, class somewhere in there. Yeah, probably one thirty to one forty. Yeah, you know, he was in velvet, so he always looks bigger. Yeah. So I, you know, he's one sixty. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, probably in that area. You know, real easy to go shoot a poke and young whitetail there uh, and what and what makes it good for the archer is just the the funnels and pinch points yeah. that you're able to yeah and there's just so many deer and they're they're walking those like those creeks are pretty deep so there's certain areas where the cattle crossed over the years the deer are going to use the same path it's just kind of what they do but, uh just a ton of deer out there and you had evenings you saw two or three hundred or days you saw two or three hundred? Oh, yeah. One, I, I would say one evening I saw close to three hundred. First right? evening I was how, there. How many bucks would you see days time? Probably saw a hundred. Is that right? Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you see some better than what you... Than yeah, I saw there? some that were probably in the 150s. We Is just right? weren't in the right blind. The one evening we were in a tree stand, those deer came, uh, there was a blind out there, and they came laid right down in front of just nobody in it. The other thing I, that you know, was going on, there was some flies out there. So them deer, they'd lay down in that field, and then they'd get up and move pretty good, trying to get away from flies, and they'd settle back down. It, it, that's, you know, if the guy wants to go and deer hunt, it's a great place. It's see a lot of country. It's beautiful. And you're, you know, and it's, Sturges is right down the road. So, mm-hmm. of course, you may stop there. You know, got to hang out there for a little bit. That's Deadwood's right. right down the road, and you got to hang out there. Got to experience bit. the local events and the local towns yeah. establishments oh yeah you got you got to swing through there just <laughs> make your presence spell that's right <laughs> now were you there is opening day there wyoming is that september the first and i think it was right around in there might have been a day or two it was right what is that labor day weekend yes. so i think mm-hmm. it was you know kind of right right it was right around there is that your first time <laughs> at trophy ridge no i've hunted out there uh, i've done a couple deer hunts or i'll take let's see I've, I've I've done yeah that was my second deer hunt I've done a couple I've done an antelope hunt out there we've done some turkey hunts out there he's got just a pile of game really good place to hunt so great you, you wouldn't have went back more than once if it wasn't a great place to go no but yeah is it, you is, it, get, yeah. is it Ralph Dampman is that his name mm-hmm. by chance yeah yeah okay what kind of yep. temperatures did you have out there in the first part of September I know what it's what? like in Missouri what kind of temperatures did you have in uh, I was hot Wyoming. I think in the days it was getting up to, to 80 degrees, and in the afternoon it was uh, something. Something was like 60, 65. But them them deer, they're not moving far, mm-hmm. and they're 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 coming right there to eat. There's no pressure, so it's not like you know they're coming waiting until dark to come in there. I mean, you get in a stand, you're seeing deer. 
Yeah. It's not a, it's not a wait. It's a, it's a unique place for sure. What times you hunt? Did you hunt any mornings at all during that time of season or? Did uh-huh. you... Yeah. You, so you hunted mornings and you didn't see a lot in the mornings because those deer are coming up into the hills and you're trying to figure out what trail they're on. But yeah, we hunted some mornings, but I, you know, didn't take much because killed a deer pretty quick, which was nice. And you know, I was out there with Jake. He struggled. I shouldn't say he struggled. He missed one. So he had to hunt every day. So I slept in. I think I killed mine the, the second afternoon and I was done. Yeah, he, he had a little bad luck early on with, with some of his hunts. Mm-hmm. I know he was discouraged a little bit, which is, again, just kind of luck of the draw and how it goes sometimes, you know, un, un, unfortunately so. But uh, did you have, did they have a lot of guys in camp there with you? I think uh, there was three or four other guys. We had a couple guys from North American Whitetail, Layden and Right. Those guys were in there filming, and then a couple guys, guy from New York, a couple other guys. Everybody killed deer. I mean, it, it wasn't a you know one of them deals where you go into camp and one guy shoots deer and that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. out, out there, everybody, you, you should go there and kill something. If you don't kill something, it's probably your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Will you have them on your schedule again for next year? Have you got Have you got uh, that far yet? I don't. I don't know yet. We'll probably do something. I know we'll, we'll probably go out there and turkey hunt I'm sure this year. But yeah, I mean, there's. As good as a place as it is, I'm sure somebody from Mossy Oak will go out there and hunt. Mm-hmm. Just whoever gets drawn to go. So you return back to the great state of Mississippi, the Magnolia State, if I'm if I'm correct, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and then I went I went to Kansas. Now, did you go is that where you went? Was Kansas your next one right after Wyoming? As far as outside uh, no, of Mississippi? No, I didn't we didn't I didn't do anything in October. Of course, everybody here we put in for uh elk tags. And it's just if you draw, yeah. you're lucky enough to draw. And the, but the places we put in are good, so the odds of drawing are pretty low. And I think there was probably a dozen or you know or, or more folks that put in for tags here. I think only two guys ended up drawing, so they they went to New Mexico in October. And usually you're still dealing with, yeah, it's just October's a tough time to deer hunt usually. So I I just we just didn't do much. And then with COVID going on. You know, a lot of we 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 shut down a lot of trips. I didn't travel near as much. But I went to Kansas. That was first of November, and that's my own private lease that I've got out there with some good friends. Was close out there. Could have killed some 140 inch deer. Had a you know one of the biggest deer I ever seen in my life on the hoof. At at one time I had him at 15 yards. Just couldn't get him killed. Mm-hmm. He is. A now tremendous. That, now that's the one you got on your Facebook page, isn't it? Yeah. So he is a strong one nineties, probably, isn't he? Yeah, he's a he's a a hammer. And uh, when I when he can I when I got done dealing with him, he was in around me for about twenty minutes. I was pretty sure I had a heart attack. So in other words, I, when he got done dealing with you, right? Yeah, he dealt with me and basically <laughs> gave me the middle finger and walked <laughs> off. But uh, I just couldn't get, you know, where the stand was set up, he came in behind us with another buck and a doe. And the buck he was with was probably 140 inch, 145 inch eight point. I could have shot him a hundred times, but he- uh, He looked he, small, I bet, didn't he? Yeah, he kept her up in the thicket. And he was anywhere from 40 to 50 yards, but it was so thick I could never get a shot. And I probably should have just, I, I could have probably thrown something at him, but he was so big and I just didn't want to, you know, risk a bad shot on him mm-hmm. and just never gave me opportunity. And, and a tree had fallen behind us and he run off the hill one time chasing the, the smaller buck off. 
literally got within 15 yards, but it was just a wall of brush. You couldn't shoot through. Yeah. And he never, I drew back and he never stopped and turned around and ran right, right back. And I, you know, there's nothing I could do. And that's, he walked off. And of course we saw him, you know, one buddy saw him several more, you know, probably five or six more times across the road and, and on, you know, around that area. He, he made himself visible, but just never walked find another tree stand. You know, nobody ever had an encounter with him. But if you were, you know, guy might have wind might have been wrong for a spot one morning and you know, one of my buddies might have went and rode around looking to see if they saw anything and they'd seen. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. But you know, he never got killed. So he's still there. Oh, that's good. It's just he's you, over out there. So you, you know, beat yourself up on those, don't you, as far as I mean, how many times have you relived it, thought about could I have got a shot in there? You know, I find myself, of course, knowing you you know, would Shed have, you know, would he be able to get a shot in there, you know, when I don't? Or, I mean, you just go over and over, you know, these yeah, things, I, and some of I them mean, for I, years, you know, that you I don't get every day. Yeah. When I, when I put my phone on, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> you may come to find out that you didn't put, maybe the, he put himself on there just to taunt you, you know, big yeah. bucks. You never know, you know, what they might do. Yeah. But uh, we, named, we named him Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, we were hunting, we were hunting Joe. I'm you know, the FBI will show up at my house now. But that's what we named him. And he's got them when there's another deer that's smaller than him that looks just like him. We call Hunter Biden. <laughs> now, did you go back there later in the year or was that it for I, you? In I, Kansas? I was going to, I was going to go back uh, around Christmas. Usually those deer out there, they'll, they'll yard up a little bit, get pretty regular. And the, yeah, he just, he wasn't showing up and nothing else that I really wanted to to hunt was showing back up we get you might get a picture sporadically of a deer you know or a deer you wanted to hunt he's there one day and he just disappears i mean they're there but uh we just i wasn't getting them and it's for, for me to drive out there it's a 12-hour drive yeah. so i mean you're looking at a day going out there and a day coming back and the time and the, the and the weather was never really conducive never really got really really cold to where them deer just kept coming and mm-hmm. be kept getting up to 45 50 in the day so i ended up just I, it wasn't if it wasn't there i wasn't gonna waste my time so we ended up not going did any going other guys that's on the lease there with you did they have any success on that that property there, there's some guys that killed some 140s you know but they were more you know deer needed shot and they were fixing to leave we it's kind of the way we set it up you know we're trying to you know we're trying to grow deer over 170 and you know there's some of the guys that have been going out there that are in the lease with me have killed 200 inch deer so it's not a it, it's not something that you know you're gonna we're, we're going we're not going out there to shoot 145 inch deer yeah it's you know there's one reason we're going and then it's to shoot world-class deer and if you don't see him you don't shoot it's just kind of the way we 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 built the place yeah i'm still waiting to kill one of those world-class deer <laughs> <laughs> that's that, close and that was your that was your october then right no that was uh, no October was, you know, nothing. And then, okay. uh, then I actually, I went to Ohio straight from there pretty much I was hunting a place, staying with my folks, had a nice deer come in. He uh, did what I shouldn't have done. He was just probably farther than I should have shot, but it's wide open woods. And I feel comfortable shooting that far. And when I shot, he dodged the arrow and kind of winged him and never ended up finding him. And then, the day after I shot him, I got the great coronavirus. So yeah, yes, I was sick did. for a little while. You were down. And, you were uh, down and out, weren't you? Yeah, but that probably goes back to running around for 
10 days in Kansas and mm-hmm. driving. And of course, you're not getting a lot of sleep when you're out there with your buddies and, no. you know, you do some dumb stuff in the evenings and, uh, <laughs> and you'll go straight to Ohio and go see all my buddies I grew up with and do some more dumb stuff. And, and so I'd got pretty run down by that time. And that's probably why I got so sick. Yeah. If it had been normal and I was at home and my wife was cracking me with the whip and keeping me in line, I probably wouldn't have yeah. bothered me at all. It, it's, I figured it would probably be her fault in some, some Yeah. It was her fault because she didn't keep me in. You know? <laughs> that's right. Now that so, you, how many days did you get to hunt in Ohio? Was it just a, just a couple there? I hunted. Uh, I think I had four days before I shot that deer. Then I got sick. Now, how, how far was he from you? And what are you comfortable well, shooting out to? What's kind of your? I have no problem shooting seventy or eighty yards. Is that right? But the deer was he was probably right about fifty, and the woods was wide open. And so when I stopped him, he was looking right at me. So when I released that arrow. You can see on the, you know, video, it's going to hit him dead in the heart if he stands mm-hmm. there. And he moves and it hits him in the back end. Yeah. And, of course, we waited a day, went and looked for him. We probably tracked him five, 600 yards. He never stopped. You know, if you'd have hit that artery in the back end, oh, you'd have, he'd have been you'd, dead within 100 yeah. yards. And yeah. and he never stopped. And, and uh, of course, you know, every now and then I'll get a picture of him on cell camera. So I know he's alive. Yeah, good. Just, is what it is mm-hmm. you know kind of makes you sick but he's still there but now what caliber of deer was he he was probably high 150 maybe 160. he was a good i mean he was a solid deer you know i was tickled i would have been tickled to death to whacking you end up staying there at your folks for four or five days yeah least, i had a quarantine and of course then I, I was like the gift that kept on giving i gave my parents the virus and then i gave my kids and family the virus I mean, it's just, I gave it to everybody. And of course, when you do that, then it kind of trickles down and turns into a month long ordeal. Yeah. Thank goodness my parents, it, it didn't even bother them near like it bothered me. And then, of course, my kids just got a runny nose for a day or so. So mm-hmm. everybody's different with it. Yeah, it, it I've sure got, seems I know to be. people that have almost died from it. And know people that have family members that died from it. You know, some people are bothers and some doesn't do nothing. Folks with a little advanced age, you know, like your parents would be, that have had had more difficulties. So very fortunate there that your that your parents. Yeah, uh, I was got lucky there. Sure did. I got real lucky, but yeah. So I laid on their couch for a week. Now did you stay there through Thanksgiving, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And then the family yep. came up and joined you. No, they stayed home. Oh, did they? Because I had the virus. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So they they didn't. Uh, I didn't get, uh, but they still got it. So. And I, I don't know if that, who knows, you know, I, I mean, they were sick, but, you know, it wasn't likely they went and got tested. Yeah. Just figured we had it. My well, parents got tested. I got tested. So How was the test itself? How did that go? I, they did a throat swab. And this was the funny thing. This lady went, I, I go, like, I couldn't get into one of those, like, hourly deals. So I went to the, the hospital. I went up to the emergency room and I said, look, I'm sick. I figure I got the virus. And I get a test. And the only reason I went was because I was staying at my parents and I, and I needed, I wanted to know if I had it of their age. And that, you know, if I wouldn't have been with them, I'd have probably just wrote it out the house, shut the door and, you know, left, leave me alone. And I'd been it. But so uh, the lady that tested me when I went in there, <laughs> she was not happy at all. Cause she asked me why I came in there. I said, I had a giant hemorrhoid and it was really bothering me. I needed to take a look at it. <laughs> she was not, she was not happy with that. Humor, humor wasn't a strong suit, huh? No, 
And so she she kind of uh, she got pretty mad. I said, "Look, no, I'm just here for a, I need a coronavirus test." So they did a throat swab, and she says, "Well, look, you're gonna it's probably gonna gag you when I stick this in your throat." And of course, it did not spit all over her inner face, which really even made her mad matter. <laughs> and I don't know why, but she didn't have a mask or a shield on. She just kind of took it, and I'm like, she had glasses on, but I'm like, okay, you're gonna get sick next. You know, you need like a badge that you can hold up and say, you know, my wife's a nurse. It's okay. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, whatever I do, it's okay. And then they, you know, they did that. And then they called me uh, a couple hours later and said, yeah, you're positive. You need to quarantine. And don't ever come back to our establishment or to our <laughs> medical facility again. <laughs> but yeah, when I told her I had a giant hemorrhoid and I needed her to look at it, she was not happy. <laughs> Oh, well, well, where did you do that? That pretty much, uh, I did a little bit. It was your November then, then, wasn't it? What now? It was pretty well your November then, wasn't it? Yeah, yep. And then we've done some hunting around here, Mississippi. My boys, uh, he shot a a nice seven point. And uh, my daughter, she shot her first deer. And she was pretty pumped about that. But I I can't get her to go again. I told her she's got this boyfriend. And I told her, I said, look, you want to go on a date with him? You got to go hunt with me and kill a deer no problem she was fired up to go then so then after the, you know now that she's killed a deer and went on the date she doesn't want to go hunt again she, <laughs> but she, she probably did kill a nice she killed a nice eight point she would probably would have got it if she'd had to wouldn't she Man. whatever it takes you know yep now you're driving now, now your oldest boy there is 13 isn't that right is he 13 mm-hmm. he's done pretty well for himself for a yep. young man hadn't he oh yeah he's 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 a good hunter now, there's i mean for a 13 year old he's he's piled up a lot of deer yeah. But that's the nice thing about Mississippi. You can you can shoot a lot of deer down here. Mm-hmm. And I think you're allowed to kill, uh, I think, three bucks and five does. So yeah. he, uh, he's he been limiting, limiting out as often as he can. And well, he good. has no problem pulling the trigger. He's had a good start. The only he problem likes with, it. with him is he's allergic to deer hair. And so when he, he shoots something, then his work's done. Yeah. And I got to do everything. And that so. is a real thing, isn't it? You know, when well, when we were out in Nebraska a few years ago there, you know, Scott had, is allergic to deer hair as well. You know, he'll jump in there and tackle and do whatever he needs to do, you know. But when you see it, I mean, it's like being allergic to cats or, or dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, real thing. I, I'd, never, I'd never heard of that till Scott. Yeah, yeah. My, he, gets, he gets worked up pretty good. That takes Benadryl and stuff. It keeps him from having to mess with them. Yeah. So he likes that. <laughs> I bet so. Just a trigger man. Yeah. <laughs> but now you you had a way better season than I did. You know, I've been looking for 40 years for this season. So it, it'll be another 40 probably until I have it again. And by that time, I'll be in my 90s. So it probably ain't never going to happen again. But, <laughs> you know, just one of them lucky years. There's just not much explanation other than, you know, I always heard that uh, – you know, you can't kill big bucks, you know, unless you're where there are big bucks, which makes sense. And I, I've tried to put myself in a situation of, of hunting more than just where I have uh, for the majority of my life, which is, you know, majority of my life, I've had some good hunting opportunities, you know, in Missouri and Illinois, but I've started kind of expanding a little bit. So that, that, that helped the situation a little bit that I get to go as much as I do and, uh, and, and get to go to some different states to do so. But yeah, I started, I'm on lease and northern missouri and we're 30 40 minutes i guess from the iowa line maybe maybe a little more maybe a little more than that might be 45 minutes or so but not far from iowa with a couple buddies of mine and uh we got a thousand acre lease there it's it's got row crop on it got a lot of timber on it 
he has cattle on it, you know, so that's, that's kind of something to deal with a little bit, which they'll cohabitate, but at a nice distance, you know, they don't, you know, there's some elements going on there. Of course, a lot of different things going on when you got a working farm there as well. And so I, I really haven't had much success on it the last few years, but I haven't hunted it really during the crucial time that, you know, that last week of October, end of November, I haven't really hunted it. So I've been more late season and early season when it's not quite as good because I've hunted some other places. My, I always like that last week, of October and first November to be in, you know, over in Illinois where I typically hunt the most. So this year, yeah, October 29th and, and really credit probably this one to the Intel, I guess. And got some tactic cams this year, put a tactic cam up for anybody listening. You know, we're not sponsored by anyone. So, you know, we're not trying to plug anybody. I think we're sponsored by Joby and Shed. That's right. But I've never gotten any signal up there on any camera. And I've tried, you know, AT&T cameras where they don't have, you know, no, no AT&T service. Same thing for Verizon. Never had any service up there. U.S. Cellular is what they have said is is the best that they get. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I get a little burner phone that I can take up there. If I need to contact folks back home, even on my U.S. Cellular, one bar is all I've ever gotten. Well, there's only one company that makes a u.s cellular and it's you know like 400 and something dollars for the camera so i haven't bought one of those mm-hmm. and uh, had tried some verizon ones up there we got the tacticam which is Ver- the verizon you know getting four or five bars with it and so i was getting great reception with it don't know why the others didn't but it did kept getting particular pictures of kind of between a kind of a triangle there of a, a bean field a corn field and kind of a slough kind of wedged in with a with a bluff, kind of a pinch point there. So, if de- And if deer come through the woods there by the bluff where I was at in that slough, I mean, they're going to be in, in bow range of you. Matter of fact, might be a little too close. You're right in there on top of them. But kept getting pictures of a particular buck. He looked old, you know, by body size and, and whatnot. He ended up turning out to be six and a half years old. You know, real thick antlers, not not a widespread. He, you know, we thought he was probably, in, you know, 140s, somewhere around there, low 140s. And he ended up being, you know, 135 to 140, somewhere in there. The tactic cam, I just kept getting consistent pictures of him. And so right before I actually was leaving to go to Iowa, I thought I'm going to hunt Missouri and had been getting some pictures the last couple of days of him. And so got in a stand early on the 29th, had not seen a deer and getting kind of close to closing time. And actually, I was texting with you and that just about cost me. <laughs> <laughs> which was my fault it was just my fault not yours but uh i've been saying then you went dark yeah on me, then you went i shot him i remember that <laughs> he's down you know yep. and so but i was telling which you shouldn't do you know you ought to stay off the darn phone you know which gets difficult at times when you're sitting out there especially all day but you know, i'd oh. gotten to stand fairly early one or two and just hadn't seen anything and of course, end of October, time hadn't changed yet, but it's getting dark, you know, a little after six, I guess, in Missouri, something like that. I mean, looked up, and he'd come down the field edge, which I really probably wouldn't be able to see anyway, but had I been paying attention, I looked at my phone, I would have had time to get my release on and get ready, and I'd have been pulled back as soon as he stepped in the woods. Well, when I look up, you know, and it's kind of like, I don't know if I heard some or just that sixth sense sometimes deer have and we have that something's there, you know. So mm-hmm. look up and, I mean, he's right there at 20 yards. He's already stepped in. Anyway, so I had to get her get her situated. And by that time, he, I guess, and he never came in front of the camera that I had there. So I didn't get him on camera one last time. But it appeared to me that he was coming in, you know, just checking for does. End of October, come in, kind of look, as you can see, around the bend of that bluff and into that slough. 
and he had headed back out. And so I blew my chance and I thought, well, this, and I'm thinking this is a great learning experience for you to stay off the doggone phone because you just blew a chance at the buck you've been getting on camera. <laughs> and so I was able to stop him. I stopped him on the edge and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of limbs and stuff through there. And I had a small hole and again, luck, you know, I was able to thread the needle and shoot him. And I mean, he didn't go, walked a couple steps, stood and, you know, next thing you know, down he went, which is, you know, unless you spine shoot him, I, I don't know that I've had that happen, you know, with a bow. But, but he didn't go anywhere. So salvage the situation there that could have been started off awful bad, and that kind of started a string of some good luck. But the tactic cam really, especially, you know, it's that lease is over three hours from where I live. And so, you know, having that intel that, that buck's coming in there fairly regularly, uh, yeah. you know, is what put me in the stand that day. Or I really, to be honest, I probably stayed home, stayed with my wife another day because I was getting ready to be gone over a week, spending a little time with her. And in this case, she you know, she saw what was going on, so – Baby, I got to go, <laughs> you know, so she she was understanding to that. But then I had to, of course, bring the deer back that night. You know, I had to do something from a processing standpoint. I didn't have time to, I mean, I had time to, you know, skin it and debone it and all that stuff. I, so I had to drive all the way back home to do it because there's no place open and drive back to Iowa, which is great. You're dealing with deer stuff. So the more I, deer, deer stuff I can deal, deal with, the better, the you know, it is. And then took off to to iowa jake was up there hunting and you know bbd outfitters corbin millard and caleb uh millard couple you know really young guys you know they're in their late caleb's in his late 20s corbin would be in his early 30s i guess but they've killed some monster deer they i i think their story is you know they of course grew up there in southeast iowa hunting and uh had permission to hunt on a lot of a lot of farms in that area because mm-hmm. they knew people as a result of that, you know, of course, in the times changing, people started, you know, leases started coming in, but people gave them first opportunity to, hey, you want to lease this, but, we, you know, we, we can lease it and make some money, but we, we'll give you the first opportunity. Like, you know, we're not going to pay to hunt somewhere, <laughs> you know, so they end up losing a lot of those places they had. Friends of theirs would call from out of state to say, hey, can you put us on some? Hey, you know, I don't have any leases anymore. And I think one of their friends in particular said, well, hey, what if, what if I sent you money to get the lease? You know, you can manage it, hunt it, do whatever, we'll come up. Well, we'll do that. So it kind of got started that way. Next thing they realized, hey, we can get some of these properties that we had back and start start an outfitting business, which they did. And they've got some of the best properties there in Southeast Iowa. They they take it seriously. And as a result, too, they quit hunting. You know, they said, we don't feel like it's fair for us to be hunting if we're going to be outfitting and we're killing big deer and then we're bringing in clients. You know, we don't want to think that, you know, we're not yeah. giving the best to them, So, which is very honorable because if I was doing that, I'd, I'd still be hunting. But... Uh, outstanding place you know jake had been there and so i, I try to ride his and, or your coattails either one when you've been to place i mean you mentioned trophy ridge earlier so i'd say there's a good chance i'll be showing up in hewlett wyoming or you know by devil's tower there at some point which helps the learning curve on places because a lot of times you try something it's a bad experience and you've invested time money and everything else and you, you kind of went down the wrong trail so uh, i knew going to bbd you know with jake having been there that uh it was a good quality place, good quality people, and they do take it serious. And uh, the very first morning, I had a heck of a good morning. You know, I saw, I don't know, 17, 18 deer, and seven or eight of those were bucks at least. Prior to this season, the biggest deer I would have killed would have been the upper 140s, like 148, something like that. And I've never had an opportunity to anything bigger than that. Last year in Nebraska, I had a you know mid-150s and a mid-160s, and 
I don't want to relive that, but you know, my hammer wouldn't go back on my muzzleloader when it come time to shoot. And I could shot the one with a bow, you know, mid 150s and uh, hammer wouldn't go back. And you know, it's, it wasn't the gun's fault. It was my fault. It took me, if it, it took me 10 minutes to get the hammer back, you know, and uh, if it huh. took nine, I'd still kill, I'd still killed him. Again, one of those things that sometimes we self-inflict. So those were the biggest deer I'd seen prior to this year. And I had a, I mean, pretty much right off the get-go there in Iowa, I, I had a buck chasing a doe, and I could tell when I saw him about 100 yards or through the woods, he's a good buck, yeah, yeah. you know. And he yeah. looked 150, some odd to me. Now, what I typically try to do, if I say he's 150, I take 10 off immediately, you know, to say <laughs> he's 140. Because I'm usually overestimating, I'm excited, I'm seeing a long time, or I'm seeing some width, and I'm not putting all the other stuff together. And sometimes you don't, I mean, you just don't have the time, you know, to know, figure out what they are. So I always try to subtract 10 from what I think. She brought him in there, and I'm thinking, nope, he's 150s. I've never killed a 150, (laughs) you know. So so I pulled the bow back, and he's at 17 steps. But I'm still not sure. I came here, you know, I've killed a 148-something, so... We're talking an inch and a half, two inches, you know, difference. Should I be worried about because it it's 150. I mean, shouldn't I hold out for something bigger? I've waited three years to get this tag. And so as I'm thinking all this, I probably shouldn't shoot. The doe kind of scoots out from him a little bit, you know, and so kind of he, he takes a couple quick steps, you know, behind her. Well, I didn't have a shot, so I was able to let off. And I thought, nope, that was the perfect move. You know, I mean, that made my decision for me. Well, then, of course, as she left, I get the buck left. I get thinking, you know, the old deal about, don't pass up the first day what you might shoot on the last one. Well, I'd probably shoot 148 on the last day or whatever it might yeah. be, you know. And so I thought, he comes by again, I may shoot him. Well, she brought him back by me seven times, <laughs> all within bow range. And so I was able to count every time. And I was convinced he was no less than 145 and no more than 148. So I thought, I made the right decision there, you know, yeah. let it go. So great first morning, a lot of activity, and hunted all day that day. Next day... A little slower activity, but still saw some some good deer and kind of went to a spot the next day where there was a good one had been seen kind of basically in this drainage ditch. You know, I mean, it was it was a little bigger than that, you know, but basically just a drain. But he had been on camera during daylight hours pretty regular. So I was kind of going in there for a home run or basically nothing. You know, might not see anything or he might come out of there at the 160. So I don't know. Let's do her. So hunted there all day. End up seeing a few, but nothing nothing to shoot. I guess it was the third day that I had one of the best mornings, I guess, that, that I've had. It ranks up there anyway, no doubt. And, of course, then he makes it the best one. But I had 12 bucks, saw 12 bucks by 7.30 that morning from daylight till 7.30. Yeah, I got in there probably, you know, an hour before daylight. And uh, anyway, but woods just come, come alive there. And I was kind of in a, in a funnel to a degree between a big set of woods, a larger set of woods on the other end. And they kind of had a food plot in the middle of the one. And so all these deer were coming out of that food plot and going into big timber where it was pretty thick and passing through to me and saw a little bit of everything, you know, six pointer, eight pointer deer. I would have shot years ago, in my early years. And even up early being twenties and thirties, several times over, I'd have shot, I'd have emptied every air in my quiver. <clears throat> there were good deer, you know, 120 inch deer, 130 inch deer. And I had one, one good one. That seems to be the case. The, Bigger ones come from the from the back end of the group, you know, and, and they weren't parading one by one. I mean, you know, they were some of them together, some of them separate, but uh, had a good, strong mid-150s. He come where there was kind of a lip in front of me, and I was kind of on the, on the edge of a, uh, of a small ridge with a drain behind me, and above me, you know, was some, like some cattle pasture. There was kind of a lip in front of me, 15, 20 yards, where 
natural for them to travel if they're coming that way. And he did not. He angled and went up into that pasture. And I thought, you know, he's a good deer. He could be 160, but I'm going to say, you know, he's mid-150s, no doubt. But he was uh, probably 45 yards. I would try to take a shot at him there if I'd had it, but it was just too thick. I didn't have one. So he got up in the field, and I'm I'm sitting on a, with a big oak tree and a ladder stand. I mean, probably twice as, as wide as my, my shoulders. And so I thought, I'm going to turn around here, muffle the sound, just, just grunt at him, you know, real soft, but put it back behind me, turn around, and he stops, watches, but then takes a few steps. So I'm snort wheezing I'm going to muffle it, you know, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be too much, but want to be soft, point it back down the, you know, down the holler there behind me. So I snort wheeze, turn, and he didn't like it. He took, <laughs> now he, he didn't run, but he looked like a mall walker for, you know, back in the eighties when people walk, I mean, he tucked his tail and yeah. he's walking, he's quick as I can to get, I don't want to look like I'm too scared, but I ain't interested. And yeah. he went across and said, oh, son of a gun. Well, I wasn't even paying attention to what's behind me when I snort wheezed and probably about 115 inch eight pointer young young deer it didn't scare him you know and he comes right. and i blew it right in his face basically you know he come charging in a bristle up ready to fight i thought okay well how did it not scare him but it scared the big one who i had it muffled from you know it probably sounded like it's 100 yards from him but so i thought he's he's been he's been whipped at some point or just his personality he didn't want there's got to be a bigger one than him in here and so that's about 7.30, 7.40. I don't see another, you know, another deer, maybe a doe, about 8.15, look in the opposite direction of where all the deer have been coming, get a glimpse of one, and there's no doubt, right? I mean, he's probably out 100 yards or more through the woods, and there's no question, I'm shooting him. You know, I mean, you, and that's kind of the old deal to me that, you know, when you're trying to figure out, should I shoot or shouldn't I shoot? Is he big enough? Well, you've already answered your question, you know? Yeah. So you know when you know. You know, it's kind of like when you when you get married or you're dating somebody, you're not sure. When you met your wife, you knew. So kind of the same thing applies here. So then all my next moves were, he's going to be like the other buck that come in the mid-150s. He's either going to angle on this lip in front of me, even though it's a different direction, or he's going to angle up into the field. He's going to have two choices there. And so my next moves are just stay seated. I wasn't going to get up. Just slowly move my feet to get position, get her hooked up, get set and ready to go. And, you know, this went on probably for eh, 10 or 12 minutes, probably from the time I saw him. Anyway, he comes up, gets to that point where he can go to the field. I thought, you know, just, just don't go that field. Because I wouldn't have had a shot there. He looks that way and just comes straight across 15 yards uh, and straight in front of me. And I'm, I'm already set up, got my bow there waiting. All I got to do is draw her back. He gets, there's two little trees and they're not that big in circumference. But like when his eye disappears behind the one tree, pull it. And I pulled and... He stepped out, I grunted kind of softly, stopped and shot him. I could see the blood just spraying out of him, you know, as he, and he only went 50 yards and down, you know. So you wait 40 years. My story telling that was longer than it took to probably kill him, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you wait 40 years for that opportunity. I thought, how simple is that? He walks by at 15, he drops within sight, you know. And I mean, now I'm, I'm just out of my, I don't know how big he is, but I know without a doubt, you know, he's up, he's upper 150s, you know, at, at minimum, even if I'm just over-exaggerating, he's upper 150s, which is, again, the biggest deer I've ever killed, biggest deer I've ever seen. So, you know, of course, called my son on the phone. And then my son later on, he goes, Dad, I could really pull on your heartstrings, couldn't I? I said, oh, good God. He said, all I had to do was say, I bet you wish you a little boy. Now, my son's 29 now. And he goes, I bet uh, if I'd have said, that, Dad, I bet you wish your little boy was there with you. You'd have broke down, wouldn't you? I said, oh, good God, I'd fell out of the stand. <laughs> 
I got, I, you know, I told him, I was, I'd like old uh, Stan Potts, you know, folks, I need just a minute. I, just give me a yeah. minute, you know. And, you know, and I, I've gotten emotional stuff hunting, but I mean, now I was, I was about to cry. <laughs> you know, There's I really. No cried in hunting. Uh, no, well, I was trying to find them back for you, and I, I did. But, man, I, so I told my son, I said, gotta go, son, gotta go. You know, he was getting tickled. You know, of course, called my dad, which, you know, he and I hunt together all the time and have for 40 something years. So it's kind of the only thing was wishing those two, you know, were there to, you know, to mm-hmm. to be involved in it and see it. But anyway, Jonathan Vanderveen, uh, one of the guys there with BBD Outfitters, you know, because he had texted me, are you seeing anything? And I'm like, been quiet since 730. Well, the next thing he gets from me is I got him. <laughs> You know, he's like, so he comes back, you know, kind of like, you're like, what are you talking about? You know, what, are you joking? Are you kidding? I'm like, he's down and he's good. You know, so he's like, hey, I'll, I'll be out there. I'll bring a truck. I'll, I'll, I'll be out there. But by that time, again, I can see him. So I know he's down. I know he's done. I mean, he ain't, he ain't getting up. And he's dead by the time he was shot. Yeah. And when he got over, I watched him. You know, users that they're kind of rocking back and forth or they're not him. When he got there, when he leaned, bam. You know, that is he, a hammer. He was down. He was done. And so when I got over there to him, I just, you know, I couldn't couldn't believe it. And it was, again, people like you and other people that's killed a lot bigger deer. But to me, it was like a 200-incher. Anyway, looking at him, I thought, no, he's there's, he's in the 160s. You know, no no question about it. And he might even be more than that, <laughs> you know. So he ended up being 165, a little over 165. And really is awesome. really an eight-pointer. You know, now he had one. He's a nine-pointer. You know, just had one little small point there that made him made him a nine. But you know, 165 inches a nine pointer, and he was, you know, 21 over 21 inches wide. He he had some good mass on him. Back times were both 12. I guess would be your what G2s were both 12 inches, and I guess the, the G3s were right there at it too. They might have been 11. He and, had, that, and that's a place you had to put in for what three years to get three got drawn. Three years, and I had a 50 percent chance this year of getting drawn. Even then, now. They do two units up there, unit five and six. I believe, you know, unit six is where I, so unit five, I had like a 15% chance of getting drawn with my three. Uh, unit six had a 50% chance and that's, just got lucky. That's really one of them, them areas where you got to have five points. Yeah, it, it is to lock. Yeah. Now, well, or I believe it may be four, and, and I, I could be wrong. You would probably, you would know better than me, but, but my first time hunting in Iowa, and I, then if I hadn't the, the 50%, I got lucky and got drawn, but if I had I not of the next year, I'd have been a hundred percent. I would have gotten drawn. So yeah. I think that was my fourth. Next year would have been my fourth one. I mean, just a great, great, great uh, experience as far as seeing good quality deer, seeing a lot of deer. I hope I get to experience it again. If I don't, you know, so be it. You know, it was that was worthwhile. Just the whole experience there with what they do, and, and you know, one thing that that those guys have been really, really good at, and which really helped has helped me. I think it taught me to be better on the intrusion part, you know, your entrance and exit, which we all hear about that. But, eh, you know, we'll fudge on that a little bit if we need to. Sale cameras have really helped me also with that because I don't have to intrude to go check my cameras or just want to check things out or just want to look around. And that exit and, you know, entry and exit to your stand every day. And they were really uh, big on that. And one part of that was, you know, they talked about was, you know, tr- trying not to leave, you know, a footprint in the woods. You're in and you're out and we, no intrusion, no pressure, the best that we can. And one of the things that they had me take with me, you know, was an Ozonics unit, which I use ozone, you know, for my clothes and stuff. I'm going to do everything I can to try to, although it's nothing's hundred percent, you try to do what you can. And, yeah. but I thought, oh God, you know, here's something else. Like, and I'm kind of, I don't want to say kind of, the people that know me is going to say kind of, you're a gear guy. I hate to admit it, especially to you who is not a gear guy. 
but I like all that stuff. It's just something else I can do as far as piddling with deer stuff, you know. Yeah. But I didn't have I an Ozonics. Do I don't have. I didn't have one, nor did I ever plan on having one. That's just some other crap I got put in a tree, set yeah. all that up, something to go wrong. I ain't interested. Now I don't. I still don't know, and and it, I know one hundred percent. Nothing's one hundred percent. But the time I was there, I probably had. I'll say to be conservative, twenty-five to thirty deer that were directly downwind at me, you know, and didn't know that they were going to be coming from that way. Tried to have me always set up, or that wasn't, you know, wasn't the case. Of course, they're going to get downwind. We had twenty and thirty mile an hour winds there on a couple of days, where my scent was blowing. I mean, right up their nostrils, you know, where I know any time I've hunted in the last forty years, that nose would be going up. They'd be smelling me. They'd be stomping that foot down, you know, trying to get you to move and get you to so they, you know, they know something's there. Then blowing, and that didn't happen to me one time. Is that coincidence or I don't know? But the more I've used it, I got one to use. I've been back home in Missouri and uh, Illinois. Same things happened. And they might, the worst thing I've had happen is they put a nose up, but then they're like, no, of course they're not thinking, but I don't know if that's diminished scent where it doesn't, you know, it might be old, there's not enough of it. Uh, they're mistaken, whatever it is, but then that nose goes back down, they go back to feeding or doing whatever it is they're doing. Kind of to the point with the experience I've had with it, that I ain't willing to take it out of the tree. And I started out originally with, I don't want no part of that, of mm-hmm. something else to mess with. Just a great experience there. And some, some good people, they, they, they take their take their deer serious and i i can't wait to get back in there I, i'll probably there ain't no probably to it it'd be another four years probably before i get drawn bow and i i don't know that i won't wait that long <laughs> you know so uh, and bow hunting's my thing I, i'd rather have a bow in my hand than anything yeah but i don't want to wait four more years because the age i'm getting you start you know putting that out two or three more times a hunt in iowa that's just not enough so yeah. uh I, you are getting old I, I'm, I'm climbing that ladder but um I'll probably go muzzleloader route, but chances are better to probably get drawn every other year at worst. Yeah. Maybe I can get drawn this year. So whatever I can put in my hand to get back up there, you know, I'm going to try to go this year. But great place, great people that take their hunting serious. Again, a great experience. And so come home to Iowa off of that. Man, what a year I've had to kill two bucks, you know, to, within just a few days of each other. And knowing I got a lot more things, you know, lined up hunting to do. Went, I guess, next I don't hunt Missouri gun opener. I do that in Kentucky. And I just met some great people in Kentucky, uh, Larry Porter, Tyler Porter. And, and they do some work conjunction on their properties with Dr. James Crow. Had the opportunity to meet and visit with him. And they're just, you're just not going to find better people than these guys. And I will never not hunt Kentucky as long as I'm able to hunt just because of Larry Porter and Tyler Porter. If they don't have any deer, I'm still going. <laughs> you know, so, you know, you make connections with people. I just ain't interested in ever breaking that to enjoy, enjoy them. And, but I didn't have and farms. I was, I was hunting, you know, kind of looking for a couple of specific deer and they were one of those deals, which kind of happened to me late in the season. I was getting them on cameras 30 minutes before daylight, hour before daylight. I was getting them 20 minutes after shooting hours at night. They just weren't showing, they were there. They just weren't showing themselves during the day. You know, they had, had one good one in there that was just a young deer that I had him everywhere, but sitting in my lap. So couldn't didn't want to shoot him, but as he's going to be a dandy. But some really good hunting there with Larry and Tyler, and we've had some good success there. And that's something my dad and I do together. We, he goes to Kentucky with me, and he doesn't live far from Kentucky. And so look forward to, to that every year, but uh, end up not connecting this year. But could have on on some deer. It wasn't like we didn't see any, you know. We just didn't see the right ones. And that leads us into really Illinois on November 21st. You know, we've got – we hunted on some property in Illinois for 25 years that my grandpa had owned uh, a big part of that 
in his latter years. And then when he retired, he sold it to his neighbors and they never did any hunting. They had some, some other land besides uh, what they had bought from him. And uh, actually uh, at his funeral, you know, they talked to my dad and I about, did we still hunt? Would we be interested in coming over and hunting? And because there wasn't a lot of deer there when my grandpa owned, owned it there in Southern Illinois. Yeah, you know, we hunt this way. You know, we don't, come, but come over anytime you want to, we'll show you around. And, and so we go over, they show us around the place and uh, told us to have at it, treat it like your own. And we did for 25 years. You know, we'd have to check in, do anything just as it was ours. And, you know, we never had any big monsters there. The last year that we hunted it, I had one that was, I say I hadn't seen one bigger until last year, but he was in the 160s, I, I'm confident. Didn't we didn't get on him until right before we had to had to leave. So I didn't get to felt like I was zeroing in on him in, in my own mind. We weren't mm-hmm. able to, and somebody else ended up getting him and he was he was a very, very nice deer. But after twenty five years, then the property changed hands and the new property owners gonna allow us to hunt it, but then, you know, there's a lot of people that was interested in hunting that property and so we end up having to leave there. A friend of my dad's had, you know, eighty five acres that's kind of surrounded by a national forest and the only all timber have a power line that runs through it and you know we use that to put some food plots in but it's it's mainly kind of from a buck standpoint it's been that that rut time that they start coming in there you know checking those does there's there's not a lot to keep them there uh, and there's cover there but from the standpoint of food there's not a lot there so they they're out you know where the cornfields and bean fields are summer and early you know late september early october and all that and so it's late october before they roll in there this year i had cameras up probably about july 4th and we didn't get a, a racked buck, you know, with any kind of rack mm-hmm. until probably end of October. You know, so it was spikes and, and all those, nothing. So a little discouraged. And we had, you know, we'd been hunting it quite a bit. My dad doesn't live far from there. He was hunting it pretty regular. And we just weren't seeing anything. And so gun season strolled in. And, and after we'd bow hunted it and hadn't seen a racked buck on the deer, season opened on a Friday, I guess the 20th on the 21st. Dad says, hey, I think I'm going to just go home and spend some time with your mom. You know, we're not seeing much. And she was in a little bad health at that time. He goes, I'm going to go to the house. I said, okay. He goes, you going to stay? And I said, I, I don't know. You know, I may go home and spend some time with my wife. I'm getting ready to go be gone some more. We're not seeing nothing. I ought to go ahead and just go home. But he leaves. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to check a few cameras. And then in Illinois, you have to have on, if you're hunting out of a ground blind, you have to have orange on the top. You know, and so I had one blind that I knew I would hunt the second season. So I'm going to go ahead and put the orange on the top of that and get it ready to go and do a few other things. I'll check a couple cameras because I have a, a couple of regular cameras up there, not cell cameras. Uh-huh. So I check one camera looking through there. And all of a sudden, I mean, there's a monster on there on this camera. I don't know if I sent it to you that day or not. Did I send it to you? No, you didn't. You didn't. I don't think you sent me the trail but, but he looked like he's 170 some odd. I mean, huge frame, extremely wide and just the angle of it. So I, of course, I'm trying. I'm sending you know to my son. I said, "What do you think he is?" And he was with a buddy. His his buddy goes, "He's 180." You know, I'm like, "Well, he's not. He's not. He's not 180, but he's big." You know, so I I keep trying to measure him, and I'm thinking, uh, "He you know he ain't, you know 150. He ain't under over 150. He you know or 150 ish. You know, but I mean, but just the look, you would swore he was 170. I, but he was a monster, and we ain't even had a rag buck. Look at the date though. It was like six days earlier." when he had been through there. That was like at noon. You know, he'd come through to check some does. He's done with another doe. He'd come through our farm there to just take, take a run and look. He's gone. He ain't coming back. We didn't have him on any camera last year. Never seen the deer. You know, chances are he's not the, He's not going to be there. So, But great to see him. You know, great deer. 
But by the time I do all that stuff, you know, I'm looking, it's like 1.30. I'm thinking, you know, it gets dark at 5 o'clock. I'm here. I might as well just stay. So I get in the blind, and I put a cell camera up where he had come out. I caught him on another camera across the power line. Anyway, sat there, and I mean, it's getting, it's really overcast. Rain's supposed to be coming in. I don't know, shooting hours was like done at, say, 5.10. I think that's right, 5.10 or so. Well, about 4.45, I mean, you can't hardly see it, 4.45, just because it's so overcast. And I have not seen a deer to this point, not one deer. So I thought, you know, it's getting ready to come come a rain. I'm just going ahead and get my stuff together. I'm going to ease on out, you know, get on out of here and mm-hmm. get me an extra 30-minute head start toward home because I got about a two-hour trip. So anyway, as I got everything packed up, looked out the side window, well, a deer had stepped out. Same place the big one had, same trail, everything, into some turnips, but the head's down. But he's, I can tell he's got a big body. So I get my binoculars up, and I can't tell. Well, he, I think I think he's got horns. He raises his head up. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? He looked good. And I didn't, I wasn't making the connection. It was the one from before, oddly enough, mm-hmm. because it didn't quite look the same, but he was wide. He was big. You know, sometimes, you know, you have one come in, you don't get nervous at all. I wasn't nervous with the one, one in Iowa. And afterwards, I almost fell out of my tree, you know, once I knew he was down, but I was not nervous in the least during a crucial time. But now I'm shaking like this. I was wanting to like throw the gun out the window at him, instead of, you know, instead of pull the trigger. <laughs> and I'm hunting with my muzzleloader. So anyway, I'm like, just calm down, just calm down breathe he's only about 80 yards you know can't see him very good well, anyway i shoot a little smoke clears he runs into the woods so you know i texted my dad he's like i'm on my way <laughs> you know I'm like i said you might want to wait to see if i hit him you know i don't know well i thought i heard a faint crash in the woods but i'm not sure you know i mean it was kind of faint so i don't really know for sure thought i did and i thought i'm gonna i checked the forecast rain's coming i better get out and just check if there's blood, it's going to be on them big old turnip leaves, turnip you know. Leaves, yeah. And so I better do it, just check it so I know what's going on there. Get out there, go walk over there. And there ain't a speck of blood on any leaf whatsoever. So, I, And I know right where we're standing, but I comb it. I'm looking, nothing. Walk over to the edge of the woods. I, I know where he went in at. I mean, it's all thick. There's one little gap there that he would have went in. I can see the leaves ruffled up. So I go along the edge, no blood anywhere on any leaf, nothing. Walk in the woods just a little bit. All kinds of dead leaves, nothing. Go back out, going to look a little bit. I thought, you know, you've had a good start to the year. You know, you've killed a couple of good ones. This is another learning experience. You just need to take your time. You probably you didn't, you just didn't get it. But I thought, I'm just going to woods. I'm just going to start walking in the direction I think he went. And I'm still combing it, combing it, combing it, combing it, and nothing, nothing, nothing. So there's no question I didn't kill. I didn't hit him. Shine my light up, just kind of in last ditch effort, and I see his, see his, something glowing. It's his eyes. He's down. He's, I mean, he's dead. Was dead when basically when he hit the woods and uh, only went probably 60 yards in the woods. Get over there to him, and I'm still not thinking it's the one. I didn't even think about it. But I'm just like, where'd this sucker come from? I mean, he's got to yeah. be one. I'm thinking he's he's 150s, no doubt, you know. So, and he ended up being like 157. <clears throat> and it, but I go I go back up to the field there just to kind of get some stuff gathered up, you know, get my stuff put out of the blind, and then come back and I drag him up to the. And as I get him to drag him up to the field, is this the same one? <laughs> so it took that long hit. So I get on my phone and I've got the phone right beside his head. I'm like, that's him. So I, yeah. I, so I texted my dad. I'm like, it's him. I texted my son. It's him. They're like, the one from the picture? I'm like, the one from the picture. You know, which just, again, goes to show you. And I've done it so many times. Not seeing anything. Seen nothing in five days. I'm, You know, we justify. I'm going to get home a little early. I got work tomorrow. I need to spend some time with the wife. 
and you miss out. You know, and this time I just got lucky that I didn't. And so I mean, yeah. luck just played a huge factor in that one. He'd never, never been there that we knew of. Get him on the camera six days earlier, steps out same trail, and uh, there you go. But he, he, he was a dandy. But deer just tend to just sometimes they just show up when you like. But when I was out there in Kansas on on that big deer, it was at 82 degrees. I've been in the stand 30 minutes. It's 2:30 in the afternoon. I mean, I, would, I didn't really even want to hunt because it was so hot. But I knew the rut was fixing to kick in, and 30 minutes sitting in there, here he come. My dad, I was younger and trying to start putting pieces together and barometric pressure and cloud cover, you know, a lot of things that we do now, which is all good information and, and very right. helpful. But my dad said, son, when you can go, you need to go. As simple as that. And, you know, we make it complicated sometimes. And, again, you don't want to go if the wind's not right. You're going to get busted. It's blowing in one direction. you got some other directions you can get in, you know. Mm-hmm. But his thing was, I understand all that stuff. You know, my dad was a was an earth science major, and weather was his always his thing. But he's like, son, you know, when you're available and you can go, you need to be in the woods. And I've always tried to abide by that. And some people tell you I've abided a little too much, you know. But, but to me, it hadn't been enough. That, but just got lucky there of being at the right place at the right time and not going home because, I mean, I was close. And then I was even closer of getting the heck out of there. If I'd left a minute before and had my stuff together, I'd have been gone and wouldn't even see him pop out of there. And I never leave until after, you know, until it's time. But that day I was going to. So, yeah, Dad got over there to be there with me. So, we, you know, both of us just in disbelief of what we'd been, you know, your biggest deer you got on any camera probably at that point was like 87 inches. You know, and then next thing, you know, you got 157 inch down. And then yeah. after that, we started getting some good bucks on there. It's a, been a good rut-type property, and some of them had even held in there. And I'm going to try to plant some things this spring. I, I, I have done the fall food plots there, uh, but something where I can hold them in there a little better or at least get them to, to visit there a little bit, uh, the bucks anyway, a little bit more regularly, you know, mm-hmm. throughout, throughout the year. That was Illinois, November, yeah, 21st. From then until... About the 17th of December, you know, I just continued to bow hunt in Illinois a little bit in uh, in Missouri when I could, and you know, when your wife put you on house arrest because she's seen your taxidermy bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she did. You know, I've I've got like six the taxidermists right now, and somebody said you'll keep taking every deer to the, you know, and of course you get the point as you as you get older and you're more picky that the deer you kill is going to be ones that are pretty good, so they're probably going to have to go with the taxidermist. Yeah. You know, went to Nebraska and again just continued to bow hunt, but went to Nebraska out to Scott and Lakayla Finks and there at Goose Creek Outfitters that first went to with you, you know, three or four years ago and and that's another place like Larry and uh Tyler, I'll be hard pressed. Now Scott may say, Won't you take a break? <laughs> you know, but I'm gonna be hard pressed. It's going to be something unusual that I won't go to Nebraska every year. Because the sand hills out there is just so unique. You oh, know, yeah. and uh you know, you can say, was it beautiful? Is it breathtaking? Well, you know, I mean, to me it is. To some people it may not be, but it is just so unique and so different and from what you see. And, of course, my dad grew up in a remote rural area. You know, we grew up out in the country, but I got a brother-in-law that lives out in a remote area. But, man, it ain't nothing like out there in Nebraska where they live. You know, it's 45, 50 minutes to the nearest town, and so you're isolated out there, and they rely on each other to get things done. And then... You know, you killed you a dandy mule deer out there that year with 170 some odd. You killed you a good whitetail out there a couple years before that, I think. Mm-hmm. And so you've had yeah, some I'm good success there. there. And you're just going to be hard pressed if you go there and you hunt four days or so. You're there, 
going to have an opportunity either whitetail or mule deer. Now, when I first first year I went, you know, I killed one the year you did, maybe one thirties somewhere there. Actually, I don't think on the last day of the hunt, but whitetail was is all I've ever hunted, and that's kind of, that's the passion, and so I've kind of stuck with that. Now this year, again, temperatures were kind of mild, like they have been. Saw some good deer. Had had a deer probably the first morning that I could have shot. It might have been mid one forties. But I just wasn't sure, and I didn't want to shoot him there, you know, and it was shooting hours. But I didn't want to shoot him, walk over to him, and oh, by the way, he's 125. And also the element of I didn't want to, you know, I look forward to going out there, and then first day, boom, I'm done, and, you know, hang around for a day and then head back home. You know, I wanted to kind of enjoy the experience of it, and so didn't shoot him. Had another opportunity one evening uh, in a cornfield, which is my favorite spot to hunt there. Probably saw 30-some-odd deer that evening. A good buck in there that I would say was 140s, but... He didn't get to me till last, I mean, the last light had just two or three minutes left. And my range finder trying to, how far is he? You know, was showing 130 to 160 to 190 to 210. You know, so I didn't know, should I pick the middle number? You know, of course, corn stalks and stuff and low light. I just couldn't get a read on him. I was figuring he was around 200, but I didn't want to take a chance on him. And because of the light, I wasn't quite sure what he was to so let him pass. I did have two opportunities of whitetail. They just come early in the morning in low light and late in the evening in low light. And so we get down to the last day, and, and Scott's a great spotter and stalker, as you know, and uh-huh. he, he enjoys that type of hunting. So he was taking me to either drop me off, you know, and to hunt the evening or do something else. So he asked me, are you opposed to killing a mule deer? I'm like, no, I ain't, I ain't opposed at all. I mean, especially down to the wire where if we see a good one, I'm interested in whatever we see. Let, let's try to make something happen, So, which is what he wanted to hear. And we were just kind of pulling in to head toward the cornfield where I hunt and saw a group of about a half a dozen mule deer that actually we had seen earlier pop out of a woodlot, kind of walk out, hop out the other side. Well, from what we had saw, they they had picked up one in that woodlot, and there was he was you know a pretty good mule deer. And Scott said he he's one worth shooting. So you want let's go after him. I said let's go. So we took off two cornfields there, took off toward the one I've been hunting, and tried to kind of stay in a you know little little draw there to keep ourselves hid no mule deer so they got to be heading toward the other cornfield so we go there trying to cut off and another drain we both thought they're going to come out this drain so we took off walking for that drain and i just kind of happened to stop or wait a second as as scott was kind of leading away and kind of looked back over my shoulder just watched for a second and saw a tine and uh, so i hollered at scott to to get down and i said they ain't going that drain they're coming this one so there's coming another drain you know, I give Scott my, my range finder earlier in case we did get in a situation. He could range it so I would know with muzzleloader. And, and again, usually the bigger buck is the one tra- coming out, the last one. But in this case, he was the lead one. He steps over the top of the ridge and uh, kind of looking at us. Wasn't sure what we were and just, you know, had a second or two before he turned and went back over it. So, you know, hollered at Scott, how far is he? Scott said 160, you know. So, anyway, shot him there at 160 yards. He dropped there where he stood and got my first mule deer and you know he was he was in that 160 class again my first mule deer that uh that i've ever ever taken and i mean very well could be the last one because all my efforts are with with whitetail but uh, definitely wouldn't be opposed to to going after him again that was, and that was yeah. uh, uh, thankfully for you and everybody listening you know i told that story a lot quicker than i did the other ones lasted a lot longer than that a lot of hiking back in there and uh, just a great place to go got back home day or two before christmas Picked my wife up the next day. She was coming in from Disney. We both, you know, I started these Disney trips with her and my daughter because I always feel guilty being gone over Christmas. Now, I didn't think about the fact we have a dog at home, but I just feeling guilty. So I thought, I'm going to, they love Disney. I'm going to help them financially, you know, with their tickets and room and all that at Disney. 
I feel good. They get to do something I enjoy and I'm doing what I enjoy. And I ain't got to feel guilty about being gone. This is great. <laughs> of course, they take off and I'm like, who's watching the dog? You know, so it had to be me. The first year I did that. So I'm driving back and forth from Northern Missouri to check on the dog every day and end up because of that, didn't kill a pretty good buck that I had on camera had I been there not checking on the dog. So my wife said, you know, you set a bad precedent, so it's going to be tough for you to back up from it, you know, so, and it is. So she picked her up in Disney and had a very limited Christmas, you know, with folks because we couldn't be together with everybody. And bow hunted is every opportunity I had. And then went to Ohio to muzzleload hunt, did muzzleload hunt Missouri for a few days before I went to Ohio. Didn't have any success on our lease there, muzzleload hunting. And we had some good ones still showing, but again, condition just wasn't, wasn't as favorable as, as you'd want. Went to Ohio, and really the same thing kind of happened to me there. Great place. Went to there in Ohio with, with Lear McCoy and Chad McCoy. And Lear McCoy had just killed, and they're, they're in uh, Real McCoy Outdoors. They're in the timber business, and they've been buying properties for years for their timber business. So, you know, they got a lot, a lot of land, a lot of timber, and, and a lot of good deer. You can kill, as you know, one deer in Ohio, which mm-hmm. obviously obviously helps the herd to grow some big ones. Lear had just killed one in the 190s, like two days before Christmas, something like that. Then the very next day, gave, his wife gave birth to a son. So he, he had a 190s, a son, and then of course got to celebrate Christmas. So he had a heck of a heck of a run there. His, his brother Chad had killed a, I don't know, upper 170s to 180s, something like that, you know, in October. So the deer were, deer were there. They had a bunch of them on camera. Again, getting them before daylight, getting them after shooting hours. A day or two before I got there, some of them, a couple of them were showing, you know, during daylight hours, but they just never did. And I saw a lot of deer, uh, but just didn't see, you know, good quality buck. And temperatures, I think the lowest morning we had was maybe 32. And the day is getting at 45, 48. I mean, I'm going to say this like I know what I'm talking about, but I feel like if it had been in the teens, the deer would have had to get up and feed more. And tons of acorns everywhere. I mean, sometimes I'd walk 25, 30 minutes, you know, getting in back to where I was, was going was gonna to hunt in the mornings. And I probably exaggerating of course but i could probably have walked back there walking on the top of acorns and never touched the ground i mean it was the ground was just full so the deer didn't have to go far to find anything there was nothing to really congregate them to a particular food source and uh, since they had acorns everywhere you know also from my standpoint i feel like the temperatures wasn't cool enough to really get them up where they needed to take care of the calories they were losing there with the cold so had it been a cooler i think it'd been a little bit better but kind of a different style of, of, of hunting you know being mainly in the and lots of timber and not so much in, in, in an ag area. But uh, but I'll be back in Ohio with uh, with Lear and Chad. They've killed some monsters there and they've got them. Great guys and they got own some great properties and I'll be back with them. Uh, maybe, it's, yeah. maybe it's coming year, but if not soon. Yeah, I was, when, when you went up there, my buddy right before that had called me and said, hey, can you come? And then he called me back and was like, ah. Weather ain't gonna be good. That's yeah. why I was telling you it's gonna yeah. be tough. <laughs> and when I got the text from Shed, he's like, "You need to get in the truck and go home right now." <laughs> so I can't go. You know, I gotta finish this out. But I knew Shed knew what he was talking about. Again, it just wasn't things just wasn't conducive to a lot of deer movement. You know, and I, I think yeah. a lot of people experienced that late season. You know, we experienced it in Missouri before I went to Ohio, and then uh, had been finishing up. But you still got a little season left. I mean, you got a, the rest of the month left. I basically got to this Friday for Missouri archery season, and I believe till Sunday for Illinois. I may go to Missouri and hunt Friday just to bid the season farewell and to thank it for for, for the good luck yeah. I had there with it. You know, pay my respects, and then spend the weekend in Illinois there. But you know, it's been slow in Illinois too here 
in late season. Really, cameras are just, which, you know, sometimes it's hard to fathom. It just shows you the, the movement. You know, you've had cameras have been so active and you got them in good spots and then there ain't nothing on them, which makes you think again, sometimes they got like an underground service that they, you know, going back to my wife's Disney, you know, they got these underground tunnels and things that they move and go and do things. Sometimes I think the deer do too, you know, so. Yep. But yeah, heck of a hunting season for me. Been waiting 40 years on. I hope I don't have to wait another 40, but you know, if I do, that's what makes it intriguing. Get back out there next year and see what's going to happen. And and really the planning, you know, I got my calendar out, planning my hunts for next year, when it's going to be, where am I going to go, what am I going to do, and uh, make, makes it fun, enjoyable. There's worse things a guy could do. You know, I've been been obsessed with it for, for a long, long time, and I've been fortunate to work for some people that understand it, know I put my time in, and always available and accessible, but once it gets cool and fall season comes, I'm, I'm going to be in a tree as much as I can. I've been fortunate to to get to do that. And this year it just all came together. You know, there's no, yeah. no rhyme or reason. Again, nothing I did to put myself there other than just making that priority. I'm going to, I'm going to be there and go as much as I can. Well, that's a good one. Mine was like 2020. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm glad it's over. Definitely hope it. 2021 brings everybody a, a whole lot more comfort, peace and health, good fortune, and all that good stuff. Cause yeah, it's just time to turn a page on it. And you know, it's just hard to know. It's hard to know. You know, I get folks ask me, you know, here with what I do, you know, what do you think next year's going to be like? And, um, you know, I mean, and you're optimistic. Well, it ought to get back to normal. I, I, that's probably a little reach for us to mm-hmm. think that and say that because I was also saying that last year. I thought the fall was going to be, well, we'll get back to normal. It ought to. Maybe it doesn't again to some degree, but it's just, it's going to get better. There's no question. I, somebody was telling me yesterday how many percentage of people have already gotten a vaccine. I don't remember what that percentage was. It was low, but, I mean, it's, they're, yeah, they're, they're climbing and getting out. What's that? Yeah, I said they're pumping it out. I know a lot of people that are starting to get it. Just so. general public folks, you know what I mean? Like uh, us regular people are not first on the list. I don't know. What what do you call a regular person anymore? Me, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't yeah. even know if I'm regular. I'm, I mean, below regular. Yeah. But we, we may be out there. Yeah. But, uh, I, I know they had classifications for people, you know, people that are in the, fit, in the medical field. Your wife probably got it early on, didn't she? Uh, she hadn't had it yet, but she's fixed to get it. You know, my daughter is a pharmacist, but, you know, she works in a in a hospital, so she got her, her first shot a month or so ago. Might even been a little more than that. So just, yeah, I wonder when the general public, us that aren't in those kind of, you know, health or I assume law enforcement maybe, and I don't know what, yeah. I, what all groups fall under that, but I know I'm not in that group. But I'm ready to get mine. I don't, I don't feel like nothing bad is going to happen, but I ain't got nothing to lose. I'd rather, rather be safe than sorry. I know? don't blame you. And get past it. Now, with you having had it, you probably won't. Will you get it? I mean, with the shot? I don't know. Do you need to? I mean, I guess there's been a few people that have gotten it twice, but, you know, which is hard oh, to know, again, like the folks in their 70s of age, some get it, some don't, you know, so is their immune system stronger than other persons, or I'm is there inv- different strands of it? You know, I don't know. I'm invincible now. <laughs> you know, you always have had that invincible <laughs> feel about you, you know. Until you get it, then you feel like crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you you were not the friendliest. You didn't see, you, you, I thought, man, I bet he ain't a good patient. Up there. I feel sorry for him yeah. taking care of But, I'm hey, when you're, when you're dying out that like that, man, it is rough. Yeah. It's easy. it's fun to laugh about it on the other side, but, man, when you're in the mix of it, it's not enjoyable. No. So, it's it, like anything. When you get sick, it sucks. It does. But yeah, that's why they call it being sick. Luckily, I got over it and feel pretty good. Well, we'll be getting back a little more regular on our on our podcast. And, of course, we're, we're still finishing up deer season, so we'll still have some deer talk. But then we're kind of moving toward that, uh, actually, some turkey, fish, and, turkey and fishing season both. 
Yep. We'll, we'll approach those as we get there and uh, from a deer standpoint, get to planning and prepping for next year. But again, just talking outdoors and whatever the topic is at, at that time. Sounds good. All right. Shed, it's a pleasure as always. Take care. All right. You too, Shed. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Shed and I on today's podcast. Please assist us with the Fosha Creek podcast by liking and rating today's episode and subscribing. You can also check us out at Foshi Creek on Instagram and Facebook. We are a non-sponsored podcast, so our growth and content potential is highly reliant upon your personal help and assistance. Please share our content with your hunting, personal, and social media friends. Thank you, and we will see you on the next episode. And keep in mind that we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.